It is 17 minutes before the hour here on the Trout Large Radio Show. And, Josh, make sure you get Samuel a, uh, a copy of his uh, sports read so he has him for his, uh, you know, his memoirs. He actually did very well. I, I like the deadpan approach. It's very good. Very good. Technically flawless reading. We like that. <laughs> Maybe I should have him come in and do the news reads in the morning. <laughs> Joining us now is our good friend James Patrick Riley of Courage, New Hampshire. ColonyBayTV.org is where you can watch this fascinating, enthralling look at pre-revolutionary colonial New Hampshire as told by the story of, oh my God, James, I just, wait a minute, wait a minute. Ah, you've got this scene in Cyrus. Cyrus, is it Cyrus? (laughs) Silas, Silas. Silas, yes, Silas. Silas. S I L A S Rhodes. Silas Rhodes. Rhodes. Yeah, thank you very much. The uh, the innkeeper and justice of the peace in the town of Courage, New Hampshire, and uh, still hanging on that cliff from episode four, where the gun volley went off, and a very frightened Governor Wentworth wanted to know what was that, and you said a vote. <laughs> oh, I love it. So, if you're a history buff, or you want to know what was really going on at the uh, at the time the nation was founded, the Courage New Hampshire television series, soon to be a feature film, is there at Colony Bay TV, as are a wealth of other historic and uh, insightful resources. Join me in joining the colony. You've done dumber things with $17.76. I will say this about the TV series, though. At the time, I shared it with my entire family, which was about, what, is it three or four years ago now, James? Yeah, it goes back, actually, I think 2011. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, six years, yeah. Yeah. Basically, about the length of your your, uh, run on air here, so. Uh, There you go. I'm not sure I was, yeah, I know I did an interview um, about it, but when I started having you on more or less as a regular guest, when the the history lady went out, I think, uh, you know, we sat down, it was around the 4th of July weekend, we sat down uh, with, with the family. Because I had gotten the disc, and at the time, I think my youngest was two or three, probably two. Uh, and, and it managed to captivate everyone from my, uh, my, my three-year-old son to my 14-year-old son, my wife, everybody. There was something in it for everyone. And we actually watched all four episodes in one sitting on a projector that I set up on my dining room table so I could project it onto the wall using my computer <laughs> as the, uh, the play device. And, uh, well, that, that's that's music to my ears because I you know, actually think that uh, I was just observing the film that just came out last year. It's called The Killing Ground, and it looks like it's a very low budget film, but it is just so well done mm-hmm. uh, for so little money. And then I was watching another um, a movie on Netflix called The Eichmann, which is the story of bringing Adolf Eichmann to justice in Israel. And you'd think, you know, much bigger picture that would be, you know, much more interesting, and and it's slow and that doesn't have much tension and all the drama seems false. So I actually think the the, the real problem is, uh, is trying to tell a story people want to watch. I mean, that's that I, I appreciate that very much. Well, and you did because you managed to capture members of my family who could care less about history, but loved the personal stories that were being told and were learning the history through it. And then you have, you know, members of my family who love the history and, um, we're okay with learning it through those personal stories. I mean, it was, it was just, it really, I can't, really, it's great. All right, I've said enough about that. James, what's on your table for today? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, I thought I'd talk about the anthem a little bit because it's been in the news in California. Apparently, there are calls to get rid of the national anthem because of the oh, unsung, racist, right. so-called racist um, uh, verses. Uh, and uh, and I thought I would just weigh in on that a little bit because there's a there's a verse that we don't usually sing, and it begins, "No refuge could save the hireling and slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave." And this. Uh, Widespread critique among a lot of social justice warriors is that that was somehow a racist observation about slaves. But one thing I I can confirm, and I've got just a little hint of it this morning, is that the founders and the, the, the Sons of Liberty generation, they used the term slavery to indicate a condition of uh, servitude to government. I mean, there was obviously uh, chattel slaves in, in the colonies, but, but they actually had to avoid that particular condition vis-a-vis their relationship to the government. It was used widely. National Review had a great article about how Shakespeare used the term in that sense Mm -hmm. quite a bit a few centuries before. This is a resolve from uh, one of the towns in New Hampshire in 1774 about the rights of the people, and they say that the people in the British American colonies, by their constitution of government, have a right to freedom uh, and to an exemption from every degree of oppression and slavery. And you hear this term slavery over and over and over again in the uh, rationale for revolution. So, uh, as usual, NAACP gets it wrong, and um, and it's it's been turned into an issue that it doesn't need to be there because it's, that was not the intent of the writer. I'm quite certain. Well, yeah, and and uh, you know, for people who don't know by now, James is actually a a bona fide historian who runs a living history farm. And what I think one of the things that I think is very dangerous. Um, to our well-being as a nation and as a country, and there's a difference between being a nation and being a country. The Kurds, for example, are a nation. They don't have a country. They'd like one because they're a nation. But um, mm-hmm. it's very dangerous to our nation and our country to have the constant revisionism of history, the deconstruction of what was and the reconstruction of what never was to suit modern-day political narratives. Because when you take words out of historical context and you apply meanings to them that they did not carry at the time they were used, then you fundamentally re, um, uh, redefine, you fundamentally recast the events of history that led us to the point in time where we're at today. And in doing so, you destroy those foundations in favor of something that will always be relativistic and never actually do what was it was designed to do. And I, and I, I constantly am amazed by the failure of people to do a little bit of compartmentalization. I mean, I, I think that most of us understand that in life, um, you know, our normal condition is apathy, cowardice, uh, tedium. And then every once in a while you get a George Washington or a Patrick Henry or a Martin Luther King or is up out of the um, sort of the, I guess it saves the moral um, mediocrity of our lives and does something heroic. And then we're, at, we're challenged to, to judge that man or woman by their worst moments. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> and, which, which, which is amazing because, you know, I'm, I'm trying to remember who the historical figure, I think it was Andrew Jackson. There was a, a, a discussion that I heard about Andrew Jackson who whose life story I really didn't know um but 
he saved this yeah, country. A little, little bit unsavory in some parts. That's oh, true, well, huh? yeah, 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 and not the least of which was uh, apparently he he was um, a, a slave owner or pro-slavery. Or I, I'm not I'm not going to state the history because I don't know it. But they, the, these people were talking about uh, Andrew Jackson and how he literally saved this country at the Battle of New Orleans when the mm-hmm. British uh, yeah, back in 1812 when the British reinvaded and tried to take the country. And some mm-hmm. of the other things of note, we I, I learned about his. You know, his his uh, his uh, growing up and the family traumas and tragedies that he suffered through and all of the things that he went on to achieve, despite those um, unfortunate parts of his character. And the person that was having this discussion said, and that's why you have statues and that's why it's important to remember everybody in pure historical uh, context, because, well, nobody's perfect. Uh, Their life stories, the, the the hardships they endured, they. The things they overcame, the triumphs that they uh, that they uh, experienced, and the things they did for this country that enabled it to survive are are, are examples of um, how people can go beat the odds and achieve, and why we're a great nation because of it. Something like that, and uh, you know, beyond that, I really don't know much about him. But we. Uh, you know, to somehow say that for the Democrats to jettison Thomas Jefferson, which they should do for any number of reasons, but because he owned slaves, completely ignores Jefferson's uh, views on slavery and the things he did to try to abolish it. Well, and, and his defense of freedom of conscience, freedom of inquiry, freedom of expression. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, some of the things that Americans have taken for granted are all the result of how elegantly you know, he used his pen for the cause, and I and I think that, um, you know, even in even in Britain today, they still don't have what what we would call uh, you know First Amendment. They don't they they can routinely shut down speech. I mean, if you make the mistake of saying uh, too much about the subject of Islam uh, in any critical sense, you may you may not get a visa to travel to England these days. I mean, you, there are ideas that are are, are uh, restrained in England because they don't have, you know, a First Amendment. And I think that Jefferson and others were instrumental in articulating that right and to judge them by what we would consider their worst moments, I think, is silly. I mean, I think that if you, if you I, I firmly believe that in the 22nd and 23rd century that abortion will be totally outlawed and we're going to be looking back at historical figures from the 21st century and we're going to be saying, wow, but did you know that you know, she had three abortions or he was complicit in four abortions or whatever. I don't think you judge people by um, the values of another time. And I, I think it's a, it's a sickening um, chain of events because, you know, Martin Luther King certainly wouldn't stand up on many fronts. Um, uh, he was a plagiarist. Uh, he was an adulterer. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but yet he still did amazing things. He brought attention to Jim Crow and and uh, and and you mobilized millions of people and made it a great change. So the so I think we we need to remember that heroic things are worth celebrating and they're worth making statues for. Right. Yeah. So, so. It, but this this whole deconstruction of history and, and it even and not just history but of religion. Right. You know, words mean things in religion too, and so often. Uh, you, you know, what's written in the Bible that has that historic context of the times in which it was written in has been completely forgotten, redefined, obliterated, whatever you want it, so that people in modern times can advance modern um, modern points of view without the ob- without the obstacle, and I mean <laughs> obstacle, 
of history and how it happened or religion and what it really means. I had a, I heard a real doozy on that front. There was a, I believe, a Methodist um, female um, bishop, I want to say, uh, or it might have been an Anglican bishop, and she was saying that Jesus got over his prejudices. <laughs> <laughs> really? And what prejudices were those? He talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. He, you know, he got over the bias he had as a Jew against the Samaritans. Is this uh, really? She's judging Jesus completely by uh, you know 21st century lens. uh, All of the you know politically correct notions that uh, were dear to her, uh, and she managed to reform Jesus according to her standards. You know, so I think that we do that. Unfortunately, a lot with history is that. there are cultural norms, I think, that we would find startling. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine what it would be like uh, in 21st century America to actually, say, a domestic house slave. I mean, I don't think anyone would be um, anything but scandalized by that today, and that's a good thing. But you don't judge everyone in the 18th century by that reality because for most of the, the world's history, uh, people have been enslaving each other. The Irish were enslaved. A uh, million uh, white Europeans were enslaved in um, in Black North Africa. It's 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 part of history, but it's not the sum total of history. Right. And uh, and when you can go back in in time and you can uh, change what the meaning of the word slave meant from 300 years ago to modern day, uh, or take it out of context of how it was meant and intended and can be demonstrably uh, shown to be that way. Um, you're completely bastardizing the meaning of everything that happened, and that is dangerous if we hope to persist as a constitutional republic, which I think, you know, is on its deathbed anyway. I hope not. I mean, I think that uh, I a little word of encouragement for your listeners. You know, we we do living history tours on the Civil War, Revolutionary War, Gold Rush out here in California. Very liberal state, and I thought, you know, watching this news and this monument destruction, all this. May not be a great year for history, but I can tell you that all of our tours, Civil War, Revolutionary War, they're all up drastically, 30 or 40 percent. Mm. Even here in, in ultra-politically correct California, people do uh, hold their history dear. They want to they learn about it. They want to know where we've come from. And, um, and normal people really are not intrigued by the sorts of things that Rachel Maddow, um, you know, finds uh, very interesting. You know, I mean, it, it's... It, the more I talk to real people, the less I'm convinced they care about what's happening on the national news scene. Mm. Well, James Patrick Riley, as always, we appreciate your insights on modern day issues as uh, seen through the lens of a correct and accurate history. It's always our pleasure. All right, Rich. Talk to you soon. All right. We're going to take a break for traffic, weather and sports. When we come back, we'll have a preview of Monday's show. We're not done yet. Stay with us. Alrighty, folks, I guess, <laughs> I guess I didn't leave much time at the top of the hour. On Monday, we will uh, release a major announcement that uh, you're all going to want to hear. Looking at the calendar, not sure when I'm going to work that in, perhaps at the top of the 7 or maybe 8 o'clock hours. Maybe we'll lead the show with it. Who knows? Maybe we'll do all three. It's that big, but we will have no safe, spaci- safe spaces with Steve McDonald of the New Media Militia. Ava Castillo-Turgeon will join us for the ins and outs of immigration. Kimberly Moran will be with us for Politically Buzzed. And in the 8 o'clock hour, State Rep Jess Edwards will be in the house. He's going to be talking about the 
continuing controversy in the New Hampshire State Legislature over conversion therapy. We're locked and loaded, ready to go. I know you'll be there with us. For the entire team here at Toronto Large, I am your ever humble host, Rich Gerard. Thanks for tuning in. Please, uh, uh, I, I, oh my God, I'm forgetting my, my closing script. I have, thanks for tuning in. Please remember our sponsors. Is that where I go from here? <laughs> Give them the first opportunity to earn your business and let them know you heard about them on Toronto Large. It matters. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thank a veteran, especially today, tomorrow, and uh, whenever you can. It's important they know you are a grateful citizen.